Welcome to the spoiler cast for Rehydrate. This episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem, the Dark Forest, and Death's End. There are no future events to be spoiled on, but if you haven't read these, please skip this episode. Uh, This is Season 5, Episode 6, Singer, where we will be discussing Part 5 of Death's End by Lucy Shin. My name is Amin, and I've only read up to the current reading. My name is Talia, and I've read all three of these books, and I'm rereading along with the spoiler cast. Hey, this is Dan. I've also read the entire series. So just a bit of follow-up and notes about the show. So like I mentioned, this is the last episode of the spoiler cast, because next episode of the main show will be the last part of this series. So all spoilers will be in play, and Talia will be joining us for that episode. So it's a combined spoiler cast and main show. So it'd be a good time. Mm-hmm. Going forward past Remembrance Past, I have put the season six episode reading list up on the website. And we, like I said before, we'll be covering the Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov. That includes Foundation, Foundation and Empire, and Second Foundation. So if you like to read along with us, you should take out, check out the reading list on the website. And we also we had Frank on the main show for the last one, and he had a little bit of follow-up that he considered might be a spoiler. So I'm going to let Talia take that one because it, it includes some Chinese, and hers is much, much better than mine. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so the follow-up that we got was that death is a recurring theme in the last two sections of Death's End. And speaking of Death's End, that may not be the accurate translation of the original edition's title. The original title is Si Shen Yong Sheng. So Si Shen means the god of death. Yeah, I see that. Shen is like anything spiritual. Si is death. It's the god of death. And Yong Sheng means immortality. Mm, forever living. Yeah. Or lives, or lives forever. So the original title has no other disambiguation. I know we were puzzling over what death's end could mean on the fairy tale episode of Priya. And... Frank is saying that it's unambiguous in Chinese. Mm. The god of death lives forever. So um, does that change your understanding of the series at all? I kind of like that title more than Death's <laughs> End, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think like like I said before last time, like my understanding was kind of simplistic of just the hibernation. But I think like given your perspectives and your opinions on it there's a grander meaning to it i think this just lends itself even more to that grander meaning of death's end i think tim brought it up on the main show that even if you don't consider yourself traditionally religious humans have invented all sorts of things that we you know worship and see as laws whether it's like science or believing that they're you know must be a continuation for their own family or their own species and maybe one of the religions that we have dreamt up and the only true one is death. Like that one is forever. Mm. That's sort of what Tim's um, Tim's comments make me think of. Okay. Well, I think let's just jump right into the summary for this episode. We meet Zinger, whose job is to determine sincerity of coordinates to cleanse or not. Chengxin and AA awake from hibernation to learn that there's an incoming dark forest strike, but it's a, not a photoid, but it's a slip of paper. They travel to Pluto and meet with Luaji to distribute artifacts into space. Shortly after, the entire solar system is two-dimensionalized. Luaji surprises them by saying that they secretly installed a curvature propulsion drive aboard Halo and tells them they can go pretty much anywhere, and they will be the only two to escape. And finally, Chengxin decides to keep her date with Yuntian Ming and sets course for our star. 
So I had a question for Talia that I want to lead off the episode. We talked about before, a couple episodes ago, I think, about um, your theory that it wasn't actually Singer who destro- who actually destroyed the universe with this two-vector mm. foil. I don't know if this can be proved, but we delve into a bunch of conspiracy theories, I think, probably in this chapter. <laughs> and it's sort of endorsed by the idea of the dark forest itself, which is that uh, naivete, what's his quote, naivete and um, ignorance are not impediments to survival, but arrogance is. And that's the reason that humanity's bunker world never worked, because if they were smart enough to think of hiding behind Jupiter, someone else is smart enough to think about that. Mm. And similarly, if Singer was able to deduce that he should throw a foil, then someone else would have. So the actual evidence is plucked from a Redditor who does have a post saying, like, does anyone else notice the trick that Leopold and the trick is the actual foil that destroyed the solar system arrives in the bunker era year 66. And one of the delightful things about the singer chapter is that it just opens in media res in bunker year 67. I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty eagle-eyed there. So yeah, I mean, he did talk a lot about like the, yeah, the millions of civilizations out there that have the cleansing gene. And he's just, you know, one of however many civilizations that are sending these two, two vector foils mm-hmm. out there. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I guess the other, the, vo- the foil that he sent will have no effect when it actually gets there because everything is two-dimensionalized already. Right. Yeah. An- <laughs> Maybe it's speed up the process. I'm not really sure on the physics of that. <laughs> Oh, that, that's cool. Yeah, well, thanks to, thanks for uh, catching that. And thanks to the Redditor for also catching that. Did you catch that on your own or just when you saw the Reddit post? Well, I think it was, I definitely didn't catch it the first time I read. And then the second time I read, I was a little bit more, you know, looking, sleuthing as we do. Mm. Um, so I was looking it up then. But I do remember I was, you know, sharing this book as we've all often <laughs> tried to do. We share it with other people. And they sort of rolled their eyes when they read like the first line, it was like Orion arm of the Milky Way. And they're like, how is blue space going to make it all the way to here? Because <laughs> they thought it was like opening in humanity. And I think that Frank was right when he says it's just such a satisfying chapter, yeah. much like the Trisolaran chapter, because there's no time wasted on like, meanwhile, far away in a galaxy, far, far away in Trisolaris. It just drops us right in the middle and is like, figure it out. And it's very satisfying. Yeah, definitely. Just the change of perspective and just like, it's like a lore dump, right? But like in a really cool way of, yeah, trusting the audience to um, kind of figure out and uh, go back and, you know, kind of reread it and just be immersed in that world and think about like what that means. And then like seeing the communication between the the two worlds from like a different perspective uh, from a different, from a completely outside observer, you know, how he talks about the community. He thinks it's so interesting about the communication. Like they sent a message and then they, they replied and like, that's very strange. Like that was all, all very satisfying to read. So one of the ones that I think, I, I, I mean, we talked about the slow fog a little bit on the main show as well, but the next chapter part was a part, part six of the, of the book really talks more about like the death lines and the curvature and the, the actual ramifications of being in the curvature propulsion uh, lines, trails that leaves behind. Singer soon understood why the cleansing had happened so fast. He saw a slow fog in the vicinity of the destroyed world. So it does mm-hmm. have to be the death, the, the curvature propulsion lines or death lines that they to come to come to know although the death lines i think are a little bit different i was looking at the looking ahead a little bit yeah. and it seems like the 
the death lines are closer to zero light speed than the regular coverage of propulsion lines, uh, maybe for more advanced uh, more advanced drives, maybe. Because they talk about also how you can't, just like the boat, you can't go back through. If, if you have like the, the, the soap, the, the boat with the soap going through the, the, the water. The surface tension is broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't go back on it unless you have a more powerful, uh, you know, something that breaks the surface tension even more. And so I think that's the case here is that you have these curvature propulsion lines all over the place. Yeah, basically, like, they see signs of, like, I don't know, fracking on a massive scale. And it just, like, leaves behind this destruction of the natural environment, definitely. I don't know if it's more advanced. It's definitely more technologically advanced. Right, right. right. But I don't know if Trisolaris would even, I don't know if they can build, you know, ships that can do that. But, again, maybe they wouldn't want to because we don't have any evidence that Trisolaris is, like, trying to deliberately you know, create death like the zero homers. Of course, that's fodder for next episode. But here on the spoiler cast, we can talk about it. Yeah. I don't think we do find out some really interesting things. I almost thought we were done hearing about the Trisolarans, but it was kind of interesting to hear that they had like lied to humans in this chapter. We get a lot of answers to life outside of our own cosmos in this chapter. I don't know. What were your impressions as you? Like reread this as opposed to just, I thought it was pretty suspenseful and page ter- page turning the first time I read it, but I slowed down the second time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, uh, I think I mentioned this also on the main show. Like when I first read it, I didn't think that they were actually going to destroy the entire solar system. Like I thought they're, oh, they're going to get out of this somehow. It's like, no, mm-hmm. they did it. When you first read it, did you, did you have the assumption that it was, that it was inevitable that it was going to happen? Or did you think they're going to get out of it? Oh boy. I think you addressed it really well on the main show itself. So even if you are like in the habit of only listening to the spoiler cast because you're already familiar with his works, I would <laughs> definitely listen to the main show on this week because they sort of talk about the absurdity. Like it's really, it's not when humanity sort of imagines its own destructions, it's like at the hands of an emperor or like a, a king or like the Terminator, you know, it's this super powerful, awe-inspiring like monarch in a high social class. And it's very interesting that this is like a case file that some grudge worker has to do. (laughs) I kind of knew more than I I knew the solar system was going to be flattened, but I think the suspenseful part for me was whether or not Roji would, would get away or what his ending would be. Mm. So I, I thought that was, again, I think he made the wrong decision, but I think it was well done. (laughs) <laughs> oh no he rests in peace and may he rest in peace yeah i mean i th- i think he just knew that you know he didn't even said his mindset he was he wasn't going to last very much longer he 200 years old even if he was on that ship he wouldn't probably be able to to actually like you know father any children or anything what's what's the point of him uh you know actually continuing on and he also knew that because the 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 other galactic humans had sent messages of the bunker era or to the bunker mm-hmm. uh bunker worlds that there's people out there and then like his hope is that they're actually able to meet up with those with those humans and then because the ship is equipped with gravitational waves that they can kind of uh, meet each other and they do which is great you still think that they that he made the wrong decision i mean he got to like have a cup of hot tea (laughs) and tell young people a long story 
and give advice. I feel like that's a perfect day for an old person. (laughs) (laughs) But I think he could have imparted more advice as they were traversing the galaxy, I guess. Mm. Maybe. I think like it would, I mean, obviously I think they should have had another person on there or, you know, like it would have been great if like, you know, Sabine was, was able to do it. But I think they ex- explained that, you know, because of timing and logistics, he wasn't able to come. Uh, but they should have planned a little bit better, <laughs> I think. But it was such a dignified ending, I thought. So, yeah. Also, like Talia mentioned, I I, I didn't want to put it, I was kind of on the offense about putting the Trisolarian stuff in the this episode because we do get a little bit more Trisolarian stuff in the next one. Um, especially with Sofan coming back. But I, I think it was interesting how there, there's two things about the Trisolarians that kind of came up, which was, first of all, they're more tricky than expected. They apparently were lying most of the time when they were in the, like, the sharing knowledge collaboration. So the the quote goes, uh, many results that the Trisolarians had passed on were falsified based on the high level of technologies the Trisolarians were able later to achieve. It was inconceivable that they had made such mistakes in fundamental theory. The only conclusion was that they lied to humans, even in the areas of basic theory. So, yeah, that's it's pretty interesting that they that the whole time, like even when the cooperation, like they 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 were lying to us, and then apparently they had developed the either the way to lie or maybe they're lying the whole time about being able not to lie. I don't know. Um, and the other thing I thought was interesting was that the ship that the that Chungshin and AA get um, Halo is actually built out of strong interaction material. So I don't know if they got that from the Trisolarians or their research, but it's hard to know. But apparently, like, that's a really hard thing to harness, and they're able to do it with uh, with Halo or something approximating uh, strong interaction. So do you guys think that the Trisolarians themselves were be able to lie the whole time, or they just got better at it over time? I read it as they got better at it over time. But yeah. now hearing you say this, I'm wondering if if they were unreliable narrators in terms of what they can and can't do. Right. They weren't able to lie to each other because of the communicating the thoughts over light, but they never talked to us directly with the light, right? They just talked to us over Sofon via whatever mechanism or the, the self, whatever, the code to speak English, basically, or Chinese to us. I just remember that they talk about the Trisolarans taking a huge risk by launching their second fleet, you know, before Chongxin's career as the sword holder ended. But it seems like if they were lying about very fundamental principles of math, that would be an even bigger risk if people happened to find out that they were true. I don't know. What do you think? Um, it'd be a risk. A risk how? I mean, like, uh, like we would like send the the broadcast even earlier if you find out they're lying. Yeah, well, if you found out that they were lying, then maybe we wouldn't need a new sword holder. Like Luo Ji or someone else would just have initiated the broadcast before they even had the sword holder. You know, because they'd apparently been lying all the way through the deterrence era, right? Right, right. Yeah, definitely. The they they yeah they took that big risk of. The, the lightspeed chips and then yeah definitely possible if we figured out like i guess it depends on how smart humans are and you know given this series it doesn't seem they're very smart uh if they're able to uh, figure out or kind of come to a conclusion that they're lying in, in a malicious way um i don't know that the humans ever would have got there especially because like they just figured that they're so far behind in technology or the trisolars are so far advanced they just go oh, we maybe don't understand it So on the main show, there's like a more detailed breakdown of the different types of broadcasts that 
the um, the alien singer is noticing and thinking about. And we see the concept of membranes again in the next chapter because it's like a fundamental principle in trisolarian cosmology, uh, whereas we have developed theories like loop quantum gravity and string theory, apparently an understood principle of trisolarian cosmologies about membranes. And as the drudge worker singer is, you know, speculating on the primitive membrane broadcast, the radio waves that humans sent, he says that even short membrane could be used, although receiving a broadcast like that would make the senders akin to gods, which is a very confusing realization for a number of reasons. The first of them would be that it seemed to be implied, both in this chapter and the next one, that the only people who send out coordinates are people who are like unable to cleanse by themselves. So to send out coordinates using godlike technology would seem to be maybe only possible from like a type three civilization that has an ethics of pure benevolence and like has nonviolence like genetically embedded in them. Hmm. And I also wondered if the short membrane that he talks about is in fact the membrane of like this universe, the universe that Guan Yifan studies, the one that's 16 billion light years across. And we actually see a message that is sent out of the universe in the next chapter. And maybe, uh, Dan, you pulled some excellent quotes about it. Maybe that's a short membrane broadcast. Maybe that's the first one that's ever happened, the first and last one. Yeah, I, I had pulled it just because you had mentioned it before and, you know, about the, especially about like the, the amount of energy that it takes. So the quote's kind of long, but I'll read it anyway. They also cared about the answer to one question in particular. Could the mini universe communicate with the great universe, mini universe being the pocket universe that they eventually go into? Uh, Sofan told them that there's no way for the mini universe to transmit any information to the greater universe, but it was possible for the mini universe to receive broadcasts from the great universe. She explained that all universes were a bubble above a super membrane. This was a fundamental conceptual image from Trisler in physics and cosmology, and that and she could explain it no further. The great universe had enough energy to propagate information across the super membrane. However, this was difficult and required a great expenditure of energy. The great universe would have to convert a Milky Way's worth of matter into pure energy. As a matter of fact, the monitoring system of Universe 647 often received messages from other great universes on the supermembrane. Some were natural phenomena, some were messages from intelligent beings that could not be decoded, but they had never received any messages from the particular great universe that they had come from. And later, when they actually get the message, she, Sofan says, we've received a supermembrane broadcast from the great universe. Sofan brought up a window and enlarged it to make the window easier to see. She also dimmed the sun. Apparently, someone harvested the entire the amount of energy that the entire Milky Way has to send this message to all the pocket universes. So it's still not totally clear to me what supermembrane is in here, but maybe you have a better idea. I think that whoever sent the message was not busy quibbling about Mundicide. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can if you can harvest the entire energy of a of an entire galaxy, then you probably don't care. And it's kind of similar to the way in if you go all the way back to the three body problem, where we saw all these like many civilizations when they're on when they're unfolding that proton and they noticed that like, oh, well, these protons probably contain like all their universe's own. We don't really care about those either. So 
it's sort of a you know similar concept, right? Where we these people are these these super civilizations are not concerned with like just the goings on of uh, of all the little civilizations, including harvesting the entire energy from a civilization. And I guess that's the zero homers. Um, I guess they they're only concerned with the entire universe um, being reset into a, a proper state. That would be a good enough time as any to bring it up. The idea of like collapsing a galaxy, I guess we're kind of ahead of ourselves because what happens in this chapter is collapsing a whole solar system. And I know Frank mentioned this chapter is satisfying because it's, you know, it's the summation of the last three books. It's dispassionate, but it's all in this one chapter in a few lines. And I think it was the main mentioned that it does require the trust of the reader. And I was wondering if you could think of other similar moments in fiction, like the Singer chapter. I guessed for Dan, because he's mentioned on the show that he's a Game of Thrones <laughs> and a Story of Fire and Ice story, that it would be from that from that series. I think that's definitely one of them where they're the it's a it's a really big surprising event. I would say it's a little bit different. So I, I saw your note on this and I was trying to think of other good analogies where the entire focus of something totally changes and they're trusting the the reader or the watcher to kind of go along with it and like go and understand. And so I'm gonna go to my other well of TV and media that I like is just Star Trek, but I'm not going to go to Next Generation. I'm going to go to DHS9, which is my favorite of the series. And mm-hmm. think about how the show changed when they started the Dominion War. Star Trek and that before that had always been kind of a serialized kind of space adventure show. And DHS9 in general kind of changed that paradigm, but it even changed it even more into like a big, long serialized arc when they started the Dominion War. So they would have like the plots wouldn't resolve in one episode. It would take the entire series or uh, the entire season or maybe multiple seasons for the arcs to resolve. So th- that was sort of the, the biggest analogy that I thought of just when, you know, since I saw your note. I think the, the Game of Thrones one is interesting, but it's more of a surprise thing, I guess. And not that the two-dimensionalization isn't surprising. Yeah, I could, maybe it is analogous too, because when you it's surprising in, in the actual moment but when you go back and think about it it's like oh it does kind of make sense you know it kind of it set up that groundwork ahead of time but these guys does too it's a really good answer how about i mean do you have any any other big uh, analogous events that you can think of in in media that you've that you've liked that have been surprising i was trying to think of the same thing it's um i'm sure i've i've watched movies where yeah i'm sure i've watched movies where I didn't quite understand what was going on, but I can't think of a specific example right now. That, that's like a hallmark of like all the best TV shows, right? Is when they, they trust their, the audience. You know, we always complain about the exposition dumps, right? Because they're lame. Like, you, you don't want to see like someone just like talk about what happened. You want the kind of realization to, like, un, to kind of wave over the, the audience without mm-hmm. having to like handhold them, right? I guess that's why like Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad are so good. That's exactly that was that's where I was going to go. It's like Breaking Bad is great because yeah, they just kind of come up along for the ride. I was also thinking like Mr. Robot is in the similar vein where like they don't just explain every like, detail to you, but like they it kind of unfolds for you and you're just kind of along along for the ride too. And it's, it's like it's kind of like a mystery, uh, like a computer mystery kind of thing, but like a psychological. I don't know if you haven't watched Mr. Robot, you should. Those those kind of more intelligent shows or movies, I think, is in, in a similar vein. So. Hopefully they do it justice in the TV show of this, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I know you talked about on the main show, sort of this sliding scale that 
we see sort of see sketched out now that we've seen at least three civilizations uh, ranging from like transparent thought to ability to lie to finally, you know, singer's race, um, which is, if not pure totalitarianism, like really close to it. Yeah. And yeah. And on the other, I guess on the other side would be humanity just because they can conceal, they can create a plan like the wall freezers and they can produce, I don't know, like a general Cao Cao. That's one that I guess Chinese readers will know better, but the ability to like prevaricate and have this freedom. And I was wondering in that pure totalitarianism system that singers has, they, you see his superior like ruffling through his thoughts. Do you think the way I read it, he had the ability to actually remove them? Oh, I didn't. Not just see them, but like have a measure of control over it. And I also think that Singer has that same measure of control over himself. Like when he has this idea, he can choose to just like remove the thought and not have it anymore. Is that how you read it too? Mm, I didn't read it that way. I read it more of like, yeah, he was able to like look through his thoughts, like looking through like a paper, you know, like a file or something. <laughs> I think it was like rough, ruffling through his thoughts. And Singer seemed to like just let it happen. And I think if he had thought that it's dangerous, that he, that he couldn't have done anything about it, right? Uh, it's like, you know, if, if you get into someone's browser history, like, you know, and you see like they're looking at some illicit material or whatever like they can't really remove it like that's how i thought it was like browser history right i guess like for totalitarianism would be not just the ability to monitor thought but like remove it so i guess maybe they haven't quite reached that that stage in their evolution yeah in my mind it was more like if they did have bad thoughts you know or thoughts that were dangerous then he'd be more you know akin to a dissident and maybe be executed or some something something like that because they wouldn't want that that thought to propagate to the other people or spread or be dangerous, right? That was my understanding of it. Like they they had the ability to take action on it, but not, I don't think, because of like the state that they're in, I don't think they would care for the individual, especially just a, a worker, right? Like if that individual is dangerous, then just get rid of them. And that's probably an analog to a lot of, you know, political, <laughs> I think, especially in, in, you know, in China, you know, like the, maybe not currently, but like before where, there are other totalitarian states where I think like North Korea, like if they have, people have like dangerous thoughts or even perceived dangerous thoughts, they'd throw them in concentration camps or whatever. Right. But those are like human systems designed to try and exercise control. Yeah. But if someone actually had the ability to see your thoughts or remove your thoughts, it sort of wouldn't matter if their society tried to be benevolent. Like how could that not be abused if you could remove thoughts from someone Right. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think it, it's incon it's not inconceivable that they could do that. But I think it also supposes that the individual here is important. And that's kind of what I was thinking is like the, yeah. the individual singer himself is not is not important. He's just some other worker. And like, he's not, he's not even looked on very favorably. Right. So if he has dangerous thoughts, then just get rid of him. Mm. I did think it was kind of funny when Frank brought up that they even do have a worker, even if it's a low low wage, low social class worker doing this job. Yeah. Um, because, you know, classification of sincere or insincere coordinates, like that's literally malignant or benign tumor. Replace this radiology job. Look at like 10,000 images. Like it's such a simple net to build. Right. 
Yeah, it's like Frank mentioned, it's like the AI ML problem where you can have a machine like learn these things many times, but most, you know, you still have a very good chance of it being wrong. Uh, And so like the singer talks about his intuition and, you know, being able to kind of like discern the coordinates of being sincere or insincere uh, just by kind of his his uh, his experience. So it's interesting that even such an advanced civilization still their AI still can't keep up with and and be reliable enough. I also had another idea, and this is like probably the last conspiracy theory I had this chapter. I never <laughs> had as many as I did reading this chapter. But when we had the, you know, the horrifying dream, which honestly, I don't even like to read this chapter like too close to bed because it's very scary. Um, <laughs> the dingy recollection chapter where they just start falling into the pit of sand and they never escape. He says, like, do you think that only Sophons create illusions? Do you think the only illusions are inside the Hadron Collider? And I was wondering if civilizations beside Trisolarans made Sophons, which they should, maybe Sophons are just like everywhere and no one really has a high level of AI. Like AI never actually takes off because everyone's in there messing up everyone else's quantum computing. Yeah, or maybe something even more advanced than Sophons, right? Like, because yeah, Sophons, exactly. Sophons have blind zones and they can only, like, you know, go for so long. And, you know, they seem kind of like a precious resource on Tri-Solaris, so. Well, they're super expensive to make, so yeah. Right. Uh, but they also talk a lot about the, the efficiency and economy of just destroying worlds. So maybe it's not even worth the, the effort of creating, you know, even if you can't create Sophons, you know, in mass, like maybe it's not even worth the effort of, of sending them to all these worlds. Maybe like these beings that can communicate over a super membrane, like don't have to even send them. They just like understand that everything is happening over that super membrane. That's true. Singer was like, you know, just sort of by looking in our general direction, he's like, yeah, I sort of get the idea of these messages Right. This one is saying this. It was just like jaw dropping. Like he doesn't need to get even close enough to like he, he can't even get permission to look through the big telescope. So just like peering through a pinhole. He's like, I, I basically get the whole idea. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, from who knows how far away, right? Like it's that he's in the Orion arm of the Milky Way, but like or the uh, of the uh, yeah, the Milky Way galaxy, but who knows like how far away that he actually is from from Earth and just like looking through like a rudimentary telescope or night. And maybe not even a telescope, maybe he just understands, you know, the mm-hmm. the world. And he was able to glean a lot of information out of, you know, like the whole story of like how we you know, unfolded the the communication between us and Trisolaris and like the exact time and everything. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything else. I guess this one is gonna be pretty short. You know, we're almost at the end of the book here. I think we'll have a lot to talk about next episode. I mean, are you looking forward to uh last part being done with this series? I am looking forward to the last part, and what I realized is that you two are great co-hosts in many ways, except that I actually don't know how the book ends. So um, <laughs> somehow you managed to spoil everything except for the actual ending. I think we told you some parts of it. Maybe we didn't tell you all every part of it, but... I love that feedback. <laughs> you guys are great co-hosts, but I don't know how the book ends. <laughs> I think I know part... Yeah, I think I know parts of it, but I don't know... Do you think that the ending, the actual ending is more grim or more bright than how the singer chapter has ended um do you think the singer part ended on a positive note or a negative note um i think it was very hopeful it was like yeah. flying to see yun Tianming. i was like we're gonna finally see yun Tianming. he's had his glow up he became a vegan he bought her <laughs> this pad and now they're gonna go hang out together 
So I think Lucy Shin knows how to wrap up a story. So I think it will be wrapped up in a very satisfying way. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I don't think there'll be lots of loose ends. I don't think there'll be an opening for a fourth book. But I guess I would assume it ends on a somewhat positive note. Okay. It's yeah. controversial. The oh, is it? It's a, uh, yeah, it's. Yeah. Is it, is it ambiguous? Yeah, I would say huh. so. I would, I would say it's ambiguous, but it's happy. I don't know. It's hard, hard to say. Happy ambiguity. Um, yeah, I, I guess it depends on your perspective, right? And it has a lot to do with like Chungjin's character, I think, is how you interpret the, the ending. But good news is we only have the next episode we're going to talk about it and we'll find out we can i think that's one of the more interesting topics that i want to bring up is like how you um do consider the ending of of the book and like you know what's what's your perspective on it and there's a lot of cool stuff that happens you know regardless in the the next chapter a lot of cool science stuff happens so I, yeah i i hope and expect that that you will enjoy it and that you have will have enjoyed the entire book and the series yeah i hope so as well thanks for listening Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. This is the last episode of the Remembrance of Earth's Past spoiler cast, but please join us when Talia joins the main show for Season 5, Episode 7, Our Star, which will cover Part 6 of Death's End by Lucy Shin. (laughs) 